Hello and welcome to the N17 Podcast. My name's Cosmo and this evening I'm joined by Eddie. Yo. I'm joined by Glenn. Yo. And I'm joined by Jed. Yo. It's been look- a minute, Jed. Mmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've been away for a couple pods and my name's been getting thrown in the mud every episode since I've been <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't be standing for it anymore, but I'm not missing a single pod some ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, last week, last week apparently Jed wanted um, Jose jailed, and that was. Before I guess those words Zagreb. ever came out of my mouth as well. That was before Zagreb, so it's going to be interesting to hear what Jed thinks of Jose now. Perhaps he's trying to bring back capital punishment. Who knows? <laughs> no, but that's um, the thing, Jed. We've given you so much credit, like in in yeah. our yeah 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 like on the last episode. We said yeah. Jed is the only person that could probably predict us losing 3-0 to Zagreb. Meanwhile, me and Eddie are, are saying, oh, will they get a goal to make it kind of interesting? And we're also saying, you know, way before it was popular to say this, that you wanted Jose Mourinho jailed. Both those things came to fruition. saying it before it was cool. I saw Jailed. loads of people on Twitter after the game saying that they, uh, Jose should have swapped places with Zoran. The wrong, the wrong manager got jailed. Yeah, yeah. So you, you should be ha- happy. We're doing great things for your name, I think, when you're not on the on the show. I can't be having my name muddied when I'm not even here to defend myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I must admit, this has been a bit more of a light-hearted start to the podcast than I was expecting, which which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. Obviously, we we referenced the fact that you know. Glenn didn't even finish the pod. That's how confident he was that we were just going to slap Zagreb up and, and fly back yeah. home. You know, it was uh, just me, me and Eddie sitting back, just chatting rubbish, saying, oh, you know, maybe they'll get a goal to make it a bit more interesting. But, well, I, 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 how traumatic was that event? Because for me, I think definitely while it was happening, it felt like probably the lowest ebb in terms of for in the time I've been supporting Tottenham. So let's put that into perspective. I was born in 96. So I think, yes, in, in my time supporting Tottenham, that kind of felt like the worst. I, the ones I would compare it to in terms of results, I think Lasagna Gate is up there. I think um, Man City, uh, when um, Balotelli yep. stamped on uh, Scott Parker's face and Deadly King had his, his last run as a player pretty much we all knew he was finished after that I think that was you know quite that was pretty tragic and then you've got the Newcastle 5-1 but I think in terms of both embarrassment and the disastrousness of that result I think that just had it all I don't really think it ever gets much worse than that or am I being dramatic obviously the dust has settled a bit we've got a win against Aston Villa since then um what do you guys think it's mad because um, I think at the time of it happening, I was almost in I was I was in disbelief. Like right until the final whistle blew, I was thinking like we're still gonna we're still gonna get a goal, right? Like we're still gonna get a goal. We're still gonna get a goal, and then finally the final whistle went, and I was like, oh my god. We've just been knocked. I I was. It was like watching someone like slowly die, and then like then you get the the flat line on on the machine, and then and then that's it. 
that's what it felt like at the f- final whistle. I was just like, how, like, how, how did it, how did 120 minutes go by and we didn't score a single goal? And the week before, I said a week before, the day before, when we were talking about the Arsenal fixture, I talked about it being traumatic. I'll take a hundred of those before I took one of these again, because that was simply horrendous. It was, it was, it was horrible. Even when the third goal went in, I was just because my dad was finally watching by that point. I was just like, look at this. Like the guy with um, Orsic, who's I think it was Orsic who scored the hat trick. He's running in uh, at, at, our, at our goal, and I was thinking, look at this, look at it. And then he scored, and I was just like, well, of course. Like I, I'd got past the shouting point. I was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, well, of course, of course he got a hat trick. Of course he scored that. Of course he ran through five challenges or whatever. And at that point, I was just distraught. It was, I agree, Cosmo, probably the most traumatic uh, event as a Spurs fan that I can remember. Do you know what I think made it so bad? I was thinking about this. I was like, why did this hurt so much? I think it's because when we've had previous setbacks since we had Poch as manager, so the era of since 2014-15, there was always a feeling that if something like this happened, you always thought, okay, we've got a young squad, we've got a talented squad, we can go again next season. We can go again next season. Even that first season under Jose Mourinho, you thought, okay, he's getting his feet under the table. We can go again. But obviously the problem is, is that like loads of people have pointed this out. With Jose Mourinho, you just need instantaneous results. And if there's no instantaneous results, then there's nothing. So for me, it kind of felt like, all right, what is going to come after this? Like this is this is a low, but I can't see the high on the other side to to pick things up. I mean, yeah, it, it, in a way it felt like worse than like Sherwood era because at least in Sherwood era, we weren't as far progressed in terms of like being a big club and, and whatnot. You thought, okay, we can go and get someone from, for example, Pochettino, we can get like a manager from like Southampton or Brighton or someone like of that ilk and they can pick us up again. Kind of feels like we've put all our money at a casino on like one number and we're seeing our life savings being slowly like drained away. That's, that's kind of how it felt after that game. Um, yeah. Jed, Jed or Glenn, what, what did you make of it? Cause let's go to Jed because Jed, you've been kind of, you were probably the first out of us to kind of ring the alarm bells about Jose potentially not being a success. Uh, yeah, man. I, I just think it was, as as Hugo said, it, it was a disgrace from everyone involved. Um, I think going into the game, for starters, I think the approach was all wrong. And I don't, I'm not just going to blame Mourinho here because it, this isn't just on Mourinho at all. Um, but I think where you can criticise him is that, again, the approach was wrong. We should have gone, gone into that game and really put it to bed within, with, at least the first half, we should have got a goal. We should have really gone out and tried to attack them. Um, because realistically they were there for the taking we still had good enough players on the pitch to go out and get a goal early um, and this this is one thing that annoys me as well after the game we're told that we wanted to set out and attack and get a goal but it's the same as the Arsenal thing where we've set up with an attacking lineup, but we we then don't play in a way that we're expecting to so my problem here is that it's either Jose is lying in the post-match comments about how he wants the team set up, which I, I don't think that's true. 
or it's, it's that the players aren't listening to him. And for me, that's equally as worrying because if the players aren't listening to what the manager is telling them to do, then then you've lost the dressing room. And then for me, there's there's no way back from that. Um, so yeah, it was it was just a complete disgrace. And the frustrating thing for me is that with the Europa League, it really felt like our last <clears throat> our last chance of success for this season. I know we're three points off top four, but Chelsea are probably one of the most informed sides in Europe at the moment. Um, Leicester seem to have come out the other side of their blip. And then we've got a Carabao Cup final against one of the best Premier League teams in recent times. So for me, our season basically rested on the Europa League. And the fact that we went out to a team who realistically, they're probably one of the, one of the worst teams left in the competition. Well, we cup- celebrated that draw. Exactly. Celebrated that draw. Exactly. So the fact that we we've gone out to that team with a, a comfortable lead, a two 0 lead going to their ground, it, it should be more than enough to go through. So the fact that we've we've managed to somehow fuck it up, it's it's just it's genuinely disgraceful. I I completely I agree with Jed. I think the reason part of the reason why it hurt so much was because this competition was the light at the end of the tunnel that all of us were seeing, like. Throughout, oh, we're playing really well in Europa. We got oh, we got a good draw in Europa. Oh, we could go to the final in Europa. Oh, we're the best team left in Europa. Doesn't matter if we're knocked out the FA Cup now because we've still got Europa and we can focus on that, or we can focus on the league. We lose to Arsenal in the league. We're looking on ropes in the league, completely like up and down in the league. And then okay, it's it's fine. We, we've got Europa still. We're we're pretty much through. And then at every point in that game, we thought, oh, yeah, we can still score. It's still light at the end of the tunnel. We can still score here. Kane's on. We can still score. And then we lose. We lose 3-0 at the end of the, and at the, end of the game. You're like, where is the light at the end of the tunnel now? Because there isn't any. There's no, there's no Europa to fall back on. There's no, oh, we might make top four because it's really unlikely that we're making top four now. Oh, we had Carling Cup or whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> Carabao Cup. To look to look forward to, but now City are looking really good. We don't have that really to look. We have it to look forward to because obviously it's a cup final. Anything can happen, but we're playing against the best team possible that we can. And it's just like where where is the light at the end of the tunnel this season? There isn't any. Mm, just to be the devil's advocate on that, in terms of the the whole light at the end of the tunnel tunnel argument, have seen a few people on like some of the WhatsApp groups I'm in and someone's Twitter saying. Could it potentially be a benefit, the fact that now all we have is the league to focus on and we can go for top four? Because Chelsea, I, I agree, they're three points ahead of us. They're probably the only person, the only team that we can catch in terms of the top four. Um, when you look at it points-wise, I don't think Manu or Leicester are going to melt down enough for us to, to I, catch I think, them. I think Leicester could. Uh, Leicester, I really think Leicester could melt down. They've still got to play City, Chelsea... United and Spurs, and us at the last game of the season. You still believe and, and, and West Ham? They still have to play West Ham as well. I I don't See, believe exactly that there, there is the slightest possibility because it's the light at the end of the tunnel thing as well. Like this is the only thing I have to look forward to, but we are the most inconsistent team in the league, mm. and to think that we're going to win every single game for the rest of the season under Jose Mourinho team that's been up and down like a yo-yo is ridiculous. Yeah, so I, I can't. In my head, I can't see it. 
but then but that Spurs a, fan in you yeah, there's yeah, always the that, that bit of belief I think mm. do you know what yeah when I say when I say oh maybe we can get top four I do feel like tired do you remember when Ty said yeah. the task is simple <laughs> we need to win the yeah, last no, 13 games but... of the season I, 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 oh, that always enters my head whenever I'm like oh yeah <laughs> it's, it's the we're gonna win the quadruple that gets me yeah, yeah we're gonna win the quadruple the one thing I would say about potentially catching Chelsea, I do think it would be a complete miracle if we did. But there are some times when you look at the table at the end of the season, you think, how the hell has that happened? Um, Chelsea are looking really good in the Champions League. Um, that could distract them. Say they get to like the semi-finals, even the final. They could have... They do have depth. That's that's true. But they could have had the issue which we were potentially expecting in terms of at what point do you either prioritise Europa League or uh, Premier League? And they're just going to have that with the Champions League. So I don't know. I I think they do look really good, to be honest. Hmm. I just think um, you look at um, what we've left ourselves to do and we seem to do it every time. Like We've given ourselves the hardest task and we... We should never be in a position where we're um, we're kind of waiting on other people's results. What you want to do um, when you're in this kind of position is do what you can, and then allow the rest to happen. Like regardless of other people's results, you want to be in the position where you don't have to worry about that. And the fact of the matter is, even if other teams lose points, it's not guaranteed that we're going to gain them. So, so the the issue with um, our position now is so we have to essentially perform uh, an Aston Villa on every single team that we play up until the end of the season. Not, I'm not saying put in the same performance because I think, and we'll move on to it, the, the game was a, a pretty weird one in a way um, and not something that we'd been used to this season. Um, but I'm saying we're going to have to, we're going to have to put in like, that's, that's the result is going to have to be that. It has to be a win. And we have to we have to keep clean sheets, and we have to score goals, and and our players have to be fit, and we have to rotate. That's that's one that that's what we're gonna have to do up between now and the end of the season. And I think I suppose now that we're out of Europa League, we're out of Europa League, sorry, and we've only got the Carabao Cup to look forward to. We have to make sure that we're playing our strongest team in every single game in the Premier League. That's all we have now, apart from the one-off in the Carabao. Mm. What do you think our strongest team is now, though? Because, like, do, do any of us really know at the moment? No, I mean, I think that kind of leads us nicely onto Larissa's comments because I think they have opened up a huge can of worms because I think Mourinho's kind of... The way I interpreted it, people were saying, oh, this is a dig at, like, Levy, even maybe at Mourinho. I didn't see it as that. I saw it as a dig at the club culture and some of the, the players who... Uh, um, trying to get I mean he specifically said there's people who could be pushing for a place in the first team that are just not trying and we can speculate as to who that is um I think Winks is an absolute prime candidate as as one of them you just see it in his attitude whenever he plays whenever he's not in the team there's always like these things in the, the evening standard saying oh he wants to move so he can get his place in the England team back mate you're not good enough to play to play for England like Anyway, I've been sidetracked a little bit. I think Bale is potentially one of those players that Lloris and Mourinho have been talking about in terms of bad attitude. Um, So the team against Villa was a group of players who 
Jose sees as hungry. In a way, it's kind of similar to what happened with Poch. Um, when Poch first came in, he got rid of people who it looked like they were our strongest players on candidate uh, on on paper. Sorry, so you had the likes of Etienne Capou, Sandro. They were all cast to one side, and he was playing like Mason and Bentaleb. Yeah, which... Townsend was Townsend was like transferred like straight away because he turned up to training and like said to Poch, oh, "I don't want to, I don't want to do that," or "I don't want to do something." And then Poch put him on the transfer list like the, the week after or something. He told yeah. the story. On, like about it on someone's podcast I think yeah so I, so I don't think we're going to go that it's not going to be the strongest team on paper it's going to be a medley of I think we might see Tanganga in there a lot more obviously road it, it, it's basically going to be the, the young and hungry players or, or the players that Jose judges to be hungry um, Jed would you agree with that obviously as someone who's sort of like not exactly pro Mourinho. I wouldn't say that you're like the most vehemently Mourinho out either, but like, do you see that as the right approach? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I was, I was really happy and it was really refreshing to see that sort of line up against Villa. I think we're at the point now we're playing players like Winks, Dyer, even Sissoko at this point. Um, there's probably a few more you can name. Even Doherty at this stage, and he's only been—he hasn't even been here a year. I think we just can't continue to play these players because we're not learning anything new about them. They—they get—they consistently get chances, and they put in the same type of performances every week. And how many times do you give them that chance to just keep keep putting in the same lackluster performances? It's, it's time now that players like Tanganga, players like Rodon. Um, I don't know, even players like Bergwijn, who we haven't seen much of, I know he's not in the best form, but like, and I know, especially in his position right now, where you've got players like Lamella and Lucas, who are all in very good form. I know it'll be tough for him to come in, but like, I think at this stage, you just, you just have to, you just have to give these players a chance. Because as you said, as you said, Cosmo, there's players coming in who look like they're, they're not bothered. That they're, they're happy to play a couple minutes here or there, but they're not, they're not really pushing to get in the first team. So they don't really care enough. I, f- I think, I think Delhi could be included in that as well. I can't lie. I know, I know Spurs fans probably don't want it to be true, but I, I do think it should be the end for Delhi now. I think, especially under Mourinho, that's that relationship is just, it seems like it's at a point of no return now. And it just seems like, especially for the, the sort of money we could get for him, it just makes sense for us to move him on. So yeah. Going forward, I'd, I would like to see more Vinicius, obviously more Tanganga, more Rodon. Um, maybe even players like Sirkin. Um, yeah, La Celso coming back into the side is, is another positive. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite excited for these, these last few games because we're going to learn a lot about these players that are going to come in. You say that now, I, I just... I reckon the excitement, I can just see it drying up. <laughs> like, I reckon in like two, three games, it would just be so Tottenham if we're all like here, like, oh, it's done. I can just see it happening. Only thing is, though, you can't expect, and I'm not saying we put in a great performance against Villa, because by no means it wasn't like amazing, but you can't expect to just play every game like you're playing with a reaction. Mm, because that's true. That's, that's, all right, so we got cut off by Zoom there. But Jed, you were talking about the fact that a reaction 
to the Dinamo Zagreb result is not going to carry on for the for the full season. I think that's important to remember as well. Um, but it also brings us to the Villa game as well in terms of the approach. I, I think that was very much like a a reaction game in terms of, do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of when you keep getting battered on pro clubs and you say, you know what, let's go back to basics. 4-4-2, four, four, bigger than, bigger than yeah. little and up front. Like I kind of feel like Jose kind of went like Mike Bassett and he was just like, just go out there and show some show some passion. That's what it felt like because the first 30 minutes of that game was just like the tactical Wild West. There was no tactics. There was no tactics in that. Jed, what, what, what did you make of it? Yeah, no, it, it was a mess. It was a complete mess. And um, by no means were, like Villa were, were good. Like, I, don't, I don't think they were that good. I just think we were, again, we looked dreadful for the first 30. Um, and I think if they're Grealish, the game could have been done within those 30 minutes. But I think once we sort of rode that storm and um, got the goal, which, by the way, Lucas, Lucas did amazing for that goal, by the way. Um, he's, he's probably been one of our best players for the past month, I'd say. Maybe the best player for the past month alongside Kane. Um, I feel like once we got that goal, we sort of settled into the game a bit, and especially after we got that second goal. Do you know what the best thing for me was? Is the fact that we actually controlled a football game mm. for the first time in God knows how long. But like that was that was the most refreshing thing for me. Yeah, I agree. I think it was very interesting that um, he descri- uh, described it in the running order as chaos football. It was very much kind of like um, a a band of good players, like quality players. Like put together, mm. and then a manager being like, "Yeah, right. Show me why you deserve to be in the starting lineup." It wasn't like, in, in my opinion, and obviously it's true because they would have had only three days to uh, com- uh, prepare compared to uh, after the Zagreb game. So it's not a coach thing. It's not a system that we've been coached on. It was just a case of like, yeah, like you all have in your individual qualities. Why don't you go out and, and and you know show me you know why you deserve to stay in the team. Um, so there was like a few, quite a few statement performances, and not necessarily something that, um, not necessarily the things that we um, we recognise as 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 Spurs supporters. Um, first of all, the formation it was essentially four two 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 or four four two. It was very much a case of we have two strikers. When last time I can think of that happening, starting with two strikers is like the Ledley King day. Oh, sorry, Ledley King, the Jermaine Defoe days where we had uh, Defoe and Crouch up front. Um, obviously, very different dynamic. Both Kane and, and Vinicius aren't the quickest players, but um, in terms of like a physical presence, um, we had two people that can cause a nuisance, and I think that they, they both did that that game. Um, listen, players like Kane, Lloris, um, to a certain extent, and Dombele, Hoybier, they're all going to start, like regardless of the result prior to that game. They've got too many individual qualities and they bring too much to the spine of the team that they're going to be dropped. It's players around them, I think. The the whole back four can change Mm. and that's kind of worrying in a way because we've got to, what is it, March now and we don't have a, we don't have a starting back four. So that speaks to like the inconsistency. Um, Lloris again, yeah, he will stay and and obviously as, as captain, he's had some strong words uh, after Zagreb and something that we all, I think, agreed with. 
Um, and yeah, he, he kept a clean sheet, which is the first one we've had in, in a couple of games as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of Lacelso coming back into the team, um, it's always a bit like, you know, <laughs> we're getting to the business end of the season. We're kind of anxious for results and we're, we're chucking in a player who hasn't played for three months almost. Um, so again, that's something interesting. But yeah, like you guys both said, it was a, a reaction performance. Um, but that kind of energy, um, you're not going to be able to maintain that. So do we persist with these with this players, these players in this formation in the next game? Probably not. But how do we keep that consistency, that energy up? That's up for that's up to uh, that's up to uh, um, Mourinho, like that Mourinho has to be able, alongside players, you know, you have to be self-motivated, but Mourinho has to get that team fired up um, and put in statement performances every week. But yeah, I love seeing Rodon and, and Tanganga starting, which is what we've wanted for a while. Glenn, what did you make of those two coming in? Yeah, especially Rodon. I think he's, I think it's five starts now for him or something like that. Um, obviously, all in the Premier League or in in domestic comp- cup competitions because obviously he can't play in Europe because he's not in the squad. But which I think, like which five... I think could have cost us, you know. Exactly. Like, if he was playing that and... game, I don't know if that happens. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think he he's actually one of the biggest misses in the, in the European squad. Like, obviously, he's the only one that we had to leave out. But there's players that haven't been playing in Europe and when he has played, he's actually played really well bar one game, which is against Liverpool, who no one really played well that game to some extent. And he's started five games, conceded four goals in them five games and three of them were against Liverpool. In four games, the other four games, he's conceded one goal when he's, when he started. And I think that speaks to his ability and sort of going forward, him starting could could be it could be quite a prominent factor in the, in the Mourinho team. Um, Tanganga was unbelievable as well. I, I I have massive like I love Tanganga. I think he's probably one of our brightest prospects. When when you talk about sort of like Dane Scarlett and all these attacking midfielders and the and the wingers and all all these players that are really talented, I think. For me, Jaffet Tanganga is probably my favourite. Just because I think he gets stuck in, works hard every time he plays. He throws himself about blocking shots, unlike people like Sissoko, who came off the bench and decided to walk in front of the shot and then dangle a leg like a ballerina. Once I saw that clip, I'd, I'd given up on Sissoko, to be honest. Sensed. You were incensed. I was fuming. That's, that, if there's one way to get me angry, that is it. That is it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think Glenn has an agenda against Sissoko, though, because of the header. But was neither the yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I don't think he's ever got, got over that. But I must say, you know, I've always stood up for Sissoko, called him a cult legend and stuff. But... You know, that performance in Zagreb was just so unacceptable. And as Glenn says, like, what was he doing in that in that in that video? I didn't even notice it at first until Spurs put on their put on their Twitter um that clip of Tanganga making that block. Like 
what genuinely what was he doing he was only he'd only just come onto the pitch and he's just like walking near the goal and as you say Glenn dangling the leg out I must say I think Ballerina is a bit of a compliment for Sissoko he's not (laughs) he's not the most supple and skillful Uh, I I don't know I don't know what might be more accurate um I don't know who knows he just kind of like he just he was just kind of like you know, I saw someone saying it's like the the kind of movement you make when you're trying to flick mud off your shoe. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty much which is kind of like like get get off like that <laughs> kind of movement, and it was just like my goodness, Ross Barkley's literally in our box, yeah. <laughs> and and he's he's about to take a hit on goal. Ben Davies, to his credit, jumps in front of the shot. Tanganga jumps in front of the shot. Sanchez jumps to try and block the shot. Sissoko, he, look, he looks like a crane in 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 the in the clip. He looks like a crane that's sort of just like maneuver, <laughs> maneuvering itself slowly and then dangling its arm like down. It was, to like, it was bad. Up. It was bad. It was and the thing, the thing is, for Sissoko, he came on on the I think it was the seventy eighth minute or seventy ninth minute, and literally his primary function is to give us a bit of energy, give us a bit of grit. Let's see this uh, performance out. And he nearly costed us a goal. And if it weren't for the brilliant work of Tanganga, who I agree, Glenn, is definitely one of our bright, bright sparks um, moving forward. Um, if it weren't for his heroics, you know, it could have very well been a, a, a lot more um, tense in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Do you know what I love about Tanganga? I just feel like he, more than more than anyone in our defence even, just has that defensive nous. Like, the amount he gets in... The amount of times he gets in the right position to, like, block a shot, that's just... That's instinctual. I don't think that can be taught. I think he's probably the, the most talented in terms of being able to do that naturally. Some of the tackles he puts in are just unbelievable. Um, I th- it is a bit weird with Tanganga because he was sort of, like, the breakthrough star of last year. Obviously, he had a, a lot of injuries... And there, there is still a question over whether mostly Jose sees him as a centre-back or right-back or even like this utility man who could play at left-back even. I, I know Reguilón went down against Villa and Davis might be injured on international duty. So we could see him there. But what do you, what do you guys see in terms of like his position going forward? Because there were times against Villa and he did do it last season against Middlesbrough where he actually looked decent going forwards from right-back. So I was never sold on it, but I think maybe we could mould him into into a right back, like a la Wan Bissaka, in terms of maybe he's not going to be the most uh, attacking fullback, but there's still a place for a defensive fullback in a modern game. What do you guys think? I think it it depends on it depends on who the manager is and what system they're going to play. I think you're right, Cosmo. I think he could he could sort of do a job as a right back going both ways. Um, He's he's a really decent ball carrier. Um, he's really solid defensively, so I think he could do a great job at right back. I also think, and this this is this goes to our links with Julian Nagelsmann recently. Um, him playing on like the right side of a back three in like a Nagelsmann sort of system, where he's he's required to bring the ball out of the back, um, because I, I don't think I think the issue with Tanganga is is that people. People always mention his height when they're talking about him as playing as a centre back. So I think if you're gonna if you're gonna play a back four with two centre backs, I think you want you probably want defenders who 
and maybe both quite a bit over six foot. And I think Tanganga might only just be six foot. So I think maybe as part of a bat three would suit him well. Um, but yeah, man, I think you're right. I think he, he's very versatile. But definitely not, definitely not a defensive midfielder, as we saw in whatever game it was he came on in. Because he, he lost in what... I can't remember what game it was now. Brentford. But he, against Brentford. Yeah, he came on at defensive midfield against Brentford and he lost. But yeah, um, I'd say either right back or centre back, but it does just depend on who the manager is and what they want from him. I think he's got a lot of qualities that, that can make him a very good player for us. Yeah, and we touched a little bit on someone who was man of the match, one of his best performances for for Tottenham Hotspur, Lucas Moura. Um, we did come to it a little bit. I think in a way, Moura's sort of like cursed in the fact that like, you know when someone has a really good game and you want to say, oh, is that his best performance in a Tottenham shirt? He's peaked, man. Like, Lucas yeah. can never, ever yeah. get that comment about him. But I do think that was one of his better performances in a Tottenham shirt. And look, look, we all know Lucas's limitations. For me, it's no surprise that in a game where there was no game plan, apart from show some passion, he completely thrived and looked... He genuinely looked amazing. Like he was delivering on that potential. That, that was a fire of God, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was coursing through his veins. I mean, some of those roulettes he was doing were just unbelievable. He looked like he was like playing in the park and just having fun um, towards the end of that game. He was great. Um, and yeah, we saw him link up with Vinicius. It's, it's been an interesting week for Vinicius. All of a sudden he finds himself in the team. Gareth Bale's kicking up a stink. I, I suppose we might as well come to that now. He's um, gone on to international duty and just dropped a bombshell in terms of saying, um, I only came to Spurs to get fit and then I'm going back to play for Real Madrid. That's the gist of what he said. There's some people saying that when you look at the full quote with a bit more context, it might not be that, let's say, like tabloidy in terms of that dramatic in terms of the quote. Um but Vinicius, through Bale, kind of dropping that bomb, seems to be getting his chance in the team. Um, I think we all wanted Vinicius to do well. I know in previous uh, episodes, we've talked about his limitations. Perhaps it's not the striker that we need to back up Kane. Um, but I all think we want Vinicius to do well. And if you play to his strengths, then... Like of course he's going to do well. Like naturally, he is a finisher. Um, he's got he's got a rocket of a left foot. Like he can properly let off uh, a finish, and you can tell that uh, he enjoys every goal. Uh, he enjoys every goal, and I think you know allow him to thrive in that team, and he probably will. It's just it's very hard to see a situation where he plays regularly enough. Like you, you can tell that he just needs a run in the team. But is he going to get a run in the team? Probably not. Um, at at the, you know when you're talking about last week, now with the situation um, regarding Bell, perhaps the situation regarding other players in the team, he might get that uh, run in the team that he's been looking out for, and and it could set up a very interesting end to the season for him, and he could perhaps play himself into um, Tottenham's plans going ahead next season. Um, about potentially signing him, and you know there are rumours, uh, reports that we, we, we're not necessarily obligated to pay that astronomical fee um, in terms of the 
the um, option to buy because I don't think he's worth 45 million euros. Let's put it that way. And I don't think anyone else is going to say that as well. But at the right price, depends. Yeah, I, th- I think having played a bit of a bit of a football manager recently with, with these boys, um, <laughs> I've, I've come to find out that every single player on the contract in Portugal and Spain have to have release clauses in their contract. So that often players who are in teams' plans in the future or young players that are looking to be- develop often have astronomical release clauses. Like the Real Madrid ones, where it's like three hundred million. Yeah, like the Real Madrid ones. Like Jetson. Yeah, and Benfica are no different uh, with uh, Jetson as well we've had in the past. Um, I think the obligation to have these release clauses sort of puts like a bit of a hazy value on the players because I've heard reports that he he could be a Spurs player for 17 million euros, which is what, like 15 million pounds maximum. And I think that's actually really not a bad price for a, a player of Vinicius's quality. I think it kind of the forty-five million euro tag really put a bit of a, a kind a of caveat like a, on his performance. Yeah, it, it was like a it was a bit of a caveat. Like, oh, are we really going to have to pay forty-five million euros for this guy? Because I most certainly wouldn't want him for that much. And I I probably spoke about it in recent podcasts saying that that's not a price that I'm willing to pay or I don't think Spurs are willing to pay. But here in this 17 million euros, I'm kind of a bit more, I like, pretty interested because that's the sort of price you're looking at getting a Giroud, for example, who's, what, 35 years old uh, Mm. from the Premier League. And I think that is something that we could really look at, especially if he works his way into the team in these last few games. He seems to be working really hard, so I don't see why we wouldn't at the end of the season. Coming back to Bale, the person who Vinicius has sort of seems to have taken his place in the team. How has it gone from, I don't know, two or three weeks ago? I was saying on the pods, oh, like we have like the best front three in the league, Bale, Song, Kane, like it's all coming together to the point where he's saying he wants to like leave the club. Um, I think my Morrison's supermarket deliveries just come. So someone just answered that question. I'm just going to be two minutes. No worries. Yeah. So I don't know if Jed wants to to jump in or not. Uh, I'm looking at his uh, ceiling right now. But I think, <laughs> um, but I think um, in in regards to the um, the Bell situation, of course, we said in in the you know previously we said that. Um, quotes can be taken out of context and in fact I tweeted on the N17 um, account about how it's kind of disheartening to hear those quotes and then someone I can't remember the app pardon um, you know who you are if you're listening they were saying um, what else is he going to say in this situation Um, you know he's he's only had uh, you know the, the, the original deal in technicalities is that it was a season-long loan and the plan was to get fit for the Euros and he is going back to Real Madrid at the end of the season. And I think there are two ways to look at it. Um, the one, the, the optimistic way and, and probably the way that most Spurs fans will want to think about it is that Bale needs to have bargaining power going into um, the summer negotiations with Real Madrid because at the moment we're only paying 40% of his wages and Real Madrid are paying the other 60%. 
if Bale is coming out in public saying he wants to come back to Spurs, he wants like he's done with Real Madrid, he wants to see out his contract, you know, he wants to come Spurs for the last year of his contract, that puts him in a bad position because Real Madrid can can levy that. They can say, Okay, look, like last season you were there and we were still paying sixty percent of your wages. This season we want them to pay more. Otherwise you can't go. And although it seems like a kind of backwards thing for Madrid to do in terms of they might still have to have a you know a player that they're they're paying six hundred fifty thousand a week to um, on their books, it, you know it, it is it is kind of like a, a, um, a kind of a dick swing contest. Like can Bale you know throw his weight around? Probably not because Real Madrid have only got one more year in his contract, and I don't put it. Um, I, I wouldn't put it past them to let to, for them to let him rot on the bench for the next year. If, if if he came out publicly and said he's you know he's done with Real Madrid, he wants to come to Spurs. So there's that side, and the other side is that you know that probably was the agreement between Spurs and and Madrid and Bale. Spurs are like okay, you give us a year. Um, hopefully, you know you, you perform, you play well, you're fit for the Euros, and then. Bale goes back to Real Madrid. It is, after all, a one-year loan. It wasn't a two-year loan. There was an option for a second year, but it wasn't a two-year loan. So I think those are the two ways to look at it. I don't know, Jed, if you had anything to say. No, to, to be honest, I think you summed it up perfectly, man. Um, yeah. you, made, you made the point I was going to make about um, basically Madrid. Basically, you, when you said if, if Bale was to come out and say... Um, he wants to come back to Spurs. Then, like you say, Madrid have more power in the deal if we did if we did want to go in for him for the second year. So yeah, that's that that was that was only going to be my point. And I think you you put it across pretty well, to be honest. Uh, I've just seen on the chat, Glenn says he's got to go. Um, I've got a bunch of food that needs to be put in away, needs to get put away. So. I think we might have to prematurely wrap that pod up. I mean, we were going to talk about the international break for once. Obviously, it's something we usually avoid. But, you know... It is funny, it is funny though. We, we no longer have that strong Spurs contingent in there anymore. That's true. have like six Spurs players going, and you're thinking, yeah, two of them are going to come back injured. Yeah. But now it's only Kane and... Uh, is, it, is it just Kane and Dyer? Yeah, I don't know how Dyer's in there. But I, I was going to say, like, I feel like that kind of helps in terms of having that detachment. It kind of makes it interesting. Like, I was sort of looking forward to, like, watching England and being like, ah, oh, like, what can they do? Because obviously we have quite a good squad now. But then I just look at the fixtures. I see San Marino, Albania and Poland. And I'm just like, you know, I'm not... Why am I going to waste my time watching no this watch. stuff? San Marino right. has no watch. So I've watched England play um, until town. There's no yeah, point. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Is, is, this a, is this like a qualifier? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. they're not friendlies. They're, they're one of qualifier. them might be a friendly. Why? Why are they doing friendlies? Why? <laughs> why? Why they, they they book these extra friendlies when there's no point whatsoever? There's players who are in the middle of like the busiest part or at the end of the busiest part of their seasons, and and they think that it's a good idea to create friendlies. Then there's no one going to Wembley to watch these friendlies, bruv. There's no one. You have going. to ask Aaron. You have to ask Aaron. <laughs> these stupid. Honestly, I'm fed up of it. I don't want to see it anymore. Shout out. Um, so we got a guy in our academy called Maxim Pat- Patosi. 
Um, I think he's 17 and he's actually he's like in line to make his debut for Estonia. So that's that's pretty exciting. And apparently he's pretty good. He's that's a good. he's a centre back who we signed. I think we signed him in the summer. Um, and he's actually been scoring bare goals. He's he's got like oh I saw that on Twitter. Yeah yeah yeah. People were um, saying he's like the next Sergio Ramos. Yeah yeah. So shout out him because that's pretty big. I mean I know it's only it's Estonia, but. To be a 17-year-old and potentially be making your international debut is pretty big regardless. That's that's the good thing about it for a lot of young players and for a lot of players who play in maybe like the, the smaller nations. It's actually a genuine uh, like pleasure and uh, what the word? There, there's certain pride in 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 um, playing for your national team. So I think that's, that's probably one thing. But from a viewing point, um, and because England fans are England fans, like we've never actually, none of us have seen any success in our lifetime. So um, England feels like a black hole of um, enthusiasm and it just takes away from the season. Like two weeks of no football is, uh, is, is horrible. But also, maybe we needed that break. I mean, maybe Bale can go away. He obviously loves going away to Wales. He can go there, be happy. Maybe he comes back um, a bit more stress-free. People like Doherty, who's been an abomination for us recently. Like, hopefully, he can go and have a laugh or whatever with Ireland, and then come back, and then they can just focus on the running. But, boys, my Soleros are melting at the foot of the freezer <laughs> as we speak, so they need me. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining me, and um, yeah, it's been a pleasure as always, boys. Yeah, good to chat to you again, man. Nice, you jet on the pod again. Yeah, funny years after another win again. <laughs> uh, only pod when we're winning. Maybe it's a- when we're winning. <laughs> <laughs>